I have a message that, like I said, I want to get right into. Tonight I want to talk about giving it away. Giving it away. Giving it away. God is more concerned with what we're giving away than what we're taking in. Now, I, I know we're all here tonight to receive something. And you will be receiving all of your life. You'll be receiving something, taking something in. But God is very clear in his word, and we're going to look at it, that the reason he wants us to take stuff in is because he wants us to give stuff away. Give stuff away. Uh, how many of you enjoyed Mr. Chase Glisten last week? Amen. I got to listen to the message. He talked about the product, the successful product, success is based upon the decisions and choices that you have made. You are today based upon the choices you have made, the decisions you have made. Amen. And so I want to pull on that a little bit in talking about the product. You know, I'll be honest with you, probably one of the number one things that I really pull on when I'm ministering and really the heart of this church is helping people discover and realize and know their purpose. I believe purpose is the answer to everything. I really do. And you hear us talk about it a lot. Our website talks about it a lot. You know, a lot of people ask us, you know, what, you know, why, why don't you have more stuff, more details about your church on your website and what you believe? I'm like, it's on there, man. It talks about purpose. That's what we believe. I believe that God has given every single person on the face of this planet a purpose. What is purpose? Purpose is a reason. Okay? There's a purpose for taking math. That means there's a reason why we need to take math. Whether you liked it or not, there's a reason. <laughs> Amen. Amen. We got our math teacher over here. She'll tell you all about the purpose for math. There's a purpose for everything. Because things that don't have a purpose are unnecessary. And I want you all to know tonight, I want every single person that is under the sound of my voice today and ever has been and ever will be, to know that you are necessary to God. You have a purpose. You have a reason for being. Whether you were born in wedlock or out of wedlock or there was no lock at all. You have a purpose. You have a reason. You have a destiny. There is a why to your what. There's a why to your how. There's a why to your when and where. There's a why. And that's probably the, at the forefront of this ministry, the forefront of my heart as a pastor is just helping people realize their purpose. Because when you realize you have a purpose and then you discover what that purpose is, there's nothing that can stop you. There is no devil in hell that can stop you. There's no person. There's no relationship. There's no family member. There's no job. There's no career. There's no uh, there's nothing in this earth. No education or lack of education that can stop you from achieving your purpose if you first realize you have a purpose. I believe purpose is the driving force behind everything that God does. Everything he puts on this planet has a purpose, whether you realize it or not. The flowers have a purpose, and it's not just to look pretty. Not just to look pretty, but they can say they contain something that beautifulness, that bright color draws insects to it that then take what that what the flower has to give away and carry it somewhere else. It's called pollination. OK, there's a purpose. Everybody in here has nose hairs. Some are longer than others. Some are more visible than others. And they are there 
for a purpose. Earwax, even though we try to get it out, you don't want to take all of it out because it's for a purpose. And I've just come to the conclusion that God put the the hair in our noses and the person that the nose is attached to has a purpose as well. I'm just convinced of that. We've all got a purpose. And so, you know, uh, Mr. Chase Glisson got me on a tangent um, and and I really I, I've got so much to say. There's no I know I won't get it all tonight. I know that. Um, and we may go on with this for maybe a few weeks. I don't know. But I want to talk about giving it away tonight. Look at Jeremiah chapter one. Jeremiah chapter one. Amen. We've got a purpose. God's designed us with a purpose. And we need to discover what that purpose is. So we can do what God's called us to do. Jeremiah chapter one, verse four. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you. Everyone say before. God is proactive. God starts at the beginning. God never gets halfway through something to say, oh, wait. <laughs> God never says, oh, wait. God never says, whoa. God never says, whoa. God never says, What are we going to do now? Those statements don't come out of his mouth. He's proactive. Before I formed you, I knew you. I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you or set you apart for a work. Sanctified means to be set apart for something. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Now, we see right here that God is proactive and God has already initiated something before he initiated you. (laughs) He already put something in you before he put you in anything. (laughs) God has already begun designing and been purposeful that what I'm getting ready to put inside of this person and then this person is going to produce it and carry it. I've already put something inside of it. God knows us before we are born. But we can go even further. Not only does he know you, but he knows what you're going to do. What does that mean? He knows you and he knows why you exist. God knows you, but doesn't just know you and then is asking the question, what do I do with this one? God knows you and then knows why you exist. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. What? Set you apart to do something. Everyone on this planet was designed to do something. Let's take it one step further. God knows us before we are born. God knows what we are going to do before we are born. And here's the next one. God gives you everything you need to do what he's called you to do. God gives you everything you need to do the thing that he has set you apart to do because he knows you. God knows you. God knows what you're going to do. But how many of you know it's not just enough for him to know what you're going to do, but then never provide anything for you to do it? We're still missing a step. 
Okay, God knows me. God knows what I'm going to do. And now he's given me everything that I need to do that which he has called me to do. That which he knows I'm going to do. He knows that I am going to have, uh, that I'm going to use my voice to speak. So he's given me everything I need for the ability to do it. God knows that I'm going to use uh, a, a gift to play an instrument to bless people. And so he's going to give me the ability to play the instrument. God knows that I'm going to influence people uh, by teaching. I'm going to be a teacher. So he's going to give me the ability to teach. God knows that I'm going to whatever it is that he's called you to do. He's placed the ability inside of you to do it. It's already there. Let's keep going with this. Verse 6. Then said I, Jeremiah, Ah, Lord, before, behold, I cannot speak. For I am a what? Youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am a youth. For you shall go to all whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Now, Jeremiah is doing what many other, in the, many other people in the Bible have done. Moses being one. God called Moses in a burning bush. And said, you're going to go to Pharaoh back in Egypt where you came from. And you're going to deliver my people, the Israelites, out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Moses immediately begins coming up with reasons why God is lying, basically. God, that's not going to happen. And let me tell you why. Comes up with all the reasons. And in Exodus chapter 4, verse 10, he actually lists... One big one. I can't speak. I don't have eloquence of speech. See, we're the ones that see limitations. God doesn't. God doesn't see limitations. He just sees something that needs to be developed. God doesn't see limitations. When God sees those shortcomings, he says, oh, yeah, I need you to work on that. Or I'm going to place somebody else in your life to pick up where you're weak. And that's what he did with Moses. He said, it actually says in verse 14 that the Lord's anger burned hot against Moses. He was getting tired of hearing the excuses and the limitations and the insecurities. He's tired of hearing that conversation. I've already called you. So if I've called you, then, I'm, then I know you're going to do it and you can do it. And I've already placed it inside of you. And then he says, look, your brother Aaron's coming. He'll speak for you. Your weakness might be somebody else's job. Your weakness may be somebody else's assignment. The thing that you're weak in, he may be saying, yeah, that's why I'm joining this person to you. Because they're going to help pick up where you left off. God doesn't see limitations. We see limitations. So you got to understand this because we all immediately when God calls us to do something or we sit, we begin to realize our purpose 
Just because you realize you have a purpose, and even if you realize what that purpose is, does not mean that you're just automatically going to accept it. Most of the time, when you begin to see your purpose, it's going to be bigger than what you think you can do. Most of the time. God's going to say, you're going to do this. He's going to begin to give you vision for your life. And we've talked about it before. What's vision? Vision is what you cannot see with your natural eyes. Sight sees what's in front of me. Vision sees what's beyond me. Sight sees what's in front of me. Vision sees what's beyond me. And when God gives you vision, it's always bigger than what you currently see. And for us, if we can't see it, we don't think we can have it. See, God's given us a vision that's much larger than what we see right here today. He's given me a vision. It's my job as the pastor and the leader and the overseer and the shepherd of this flock to do what? Write down the vision, make it plain so they that read it can run with it. Vision. Because see, there are 74 chairs out right now, but we're way bigger than 74 chairs. This room is not big enough. But if I'm only driven by sight and what I see in the bank account today and how much square footage we have today and how many seats are out today. I can tell you, we we got more of these gray chairs. They're in storage places, but we still don't have enough. (laughs) It's bigger. Okay. But so when God, but look, God's giving you vision for your life, just like he's giving me vision for the church. And we're the only ones that limit God. And so, and this is why God is asking us and requiring of us to live a life of faith. Because the only way you enter vision is by faith. Anybody can look around and just say what they see. It takes a person of faith to start saying what you don't see yet. But when you start saying what you don't see, you see it. When you start saying what you don't see, you see it. That's confession. When you start saying what you don't see, then you see it. People that are stuck in sight-driven lives and only are living what they're seeing is because they're not saying anything different. I know this is kind of all over the place. I'm just kind of trying to tie it all together. Purpose. Purpose. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Jeremiah's already got excuses. He's already got limitations. And God says, let me give you something that will help you do what you need to do. I have put my words in your mouth. Here's the fourth point. So far, we've seen that God knows us before we are born. God knows what we're going to do before we are born. God... Um, Gives us everything we need to do it. And God never asks for something that he hasn't already given you. God never asks for something he hasn't already given you. 
Now, that's a huge point. That's a huge point. Because many times we feel like God is asking of us something that's beyond who we are. We feel like it's greater than who we are and what we can produce and what we're capable of producing. God never asks for something that he has not already put in you. There's a couple of things we need to look at. Number one, it's in you. If he's asking for it, it's in there, whether you realize it or not. It's in there. If he's asking for it, it's in you. I want you to teach. I want you to be a teacher. I want you to be an instructor. God, I I can't even talk on the phone. I can't even talk to my friends. I can't even, I, I don't even know how to build outlines. I don't know how to put things together. But what is he saying? It's in you. Number two. If he put it in you, he has the right to ask for it back. Amen. If he put it in you, and he's got the right to ask for it back. And it's easy to give it back. People that have a hard time giving things back to God, back to God, are ones that took ownership of it while it was in their possession. You took ownership. It's hard for you to give that money back because when God put it in your hands as a steward, you became an owner. You started saying, this is mine. I'll do with it what I want to do with it. You start taking personal possession of it. And God's saying, no, I didn't give that to you to own it. I gave that to you to use it. So number one, if he put it in you, he has has the right to ask for it back. If, If he put it, if he... Uh, Anything he's called you to do, he's already put it in you. That was number one. Number two is if he put it in you, he has the right to ask for it back. And number three, whatever he's given you ought to be used for the purpose he designed for it. Whatever he's given you ought to be used for the purpose he designed. Designed for it. There are many people in the entertainment world today that are using gifts, talents, skills, and abilities for a different purpose than what God asked them to use it for. There are drummers in bands that are playing the drums for the world than they are rather than playing the drums for God. 
There are singers and recording artists that are using their vocal cords. Do they have a great singing voice? Absolutely. There are uh, leaders and influential people with great influence that are using that influence to draw themselves to themselves or draw people to themselves rather than drawing people to God. There are businessmen who know how to handle finances and know how to increase and know how to invest and have a a mind in how to handle money that are using the money for the world and for themselves rather than using it for God. Do you see where I'm going with this? God gave them the ability to handle money. God gave them the ability to lead and command an audience. God gave them the ability to sing and to play an instrument. God gave them an ability to act. God gave them an ability to rap. God gave them ability to be creative and artistic. God gave them the ability... I mean, there are people in this world that can open up a business and have it profitable like that. Unbelievable. Just watch Shark Tank. Some of the entrepreneurs that you see on there and the ideas. Guess who gave them the ability to get those creative ideas? Ideas that to other people seem stupid until they become billionaires off of it. And you're like, oh, that's not a, that's a stupid idea anymore. Guess who gave them the ability to do that? God. I mean, it's just easy. Draw it up, get a patent, open it, sell it. Make money, move on to the next thing. There's people that they, they, their lives are dictated that way. That's what they do. Patents on everything, man. Patent pending, patent pending. I'm waiting on a patent. Why? Because you have a creative designing ability in your brain that not everybody has. God has given us all something. But he requires that we use it for his glory, not ours. And this is where we get off. We're talking about giving it away. You realize that a product is only as valuable as what it gives away. A product is not valuable just because you poured a lot into it. There are plenty of other cell phone makers out there that have poured a lot of money into designing a phone with all the latest technology, but that doesn't determine the value of it. And they may say that they're better than Apple. They may say they're better than the iPhone. They may say that they have more features and more. They may have a better commercial. But that doesn't determine the value. What determines the value? Who's buying it and who's using it? That determines the value. We poured billions of dollars into this. Oh, well, we're only making hundreds of thousands. No, the value is in how many people are purchasing the product and using it. That's where the value is determined. And the product is only as valuable. And see, that's why Apple 
has set such a they set such a high bar. They're having trouble right now keeping up with themselves. You know what you expect every June? You expect to see a new commercial for the next iPhone coming out. You expect that. And they may not want to bust out an iPhone every 365 days. They may not want to be working on the next phone when they're releasing. They may not want to be working on the iPhone 6 when they're, the commercial for the iPhone 5 is just now coming out. But you know what? They set that bar. They set that standard for themselves. Why? Because back a few years ago, they started busting them out every year. And they have to do it. They're stuck. And so they've started selling uh, this other phone. Back starting with the iPhone 3, the iPhone 3G, they had to sell something else. In between, they're called a 3GS. And the iPhone 4S. And the iPhone 5S. Why? Because we're not ready for the 6 yet. But they're going to want something new. So let's create the same phone with a few different features just so they feel satisfied until we can really get the good thing out. That's why I only buy every other one. Because the one in the middle is the same thing as the one that I have right now, which is a couple extra features that I really don't need. They're just trying to lure me and they're just trying to satisfy, satisfy people's need to have the next greatest, hottest thing. And if we don't put one out now, we're going to lose them to Samsung. We're going to lose them to... Why? Because they've set the bar. They've set the standard. And now they're just competing with themselves. Because they know our product is only as valuable as those that are purchasing and buying and using it. Come on, we've all spent money. What is money? A predetermined value. Look, that value, whatever you pay for that thing, is predetermined. The value is determined when you use it. I can spend $300 on a phone, but if I get it and I don't use it and it doesn't work, guess what? The $300 was just a dollar amount. The real value is in me using it. If I'm not using it, it's not valuable to me anymore. I don't care if I lose it. I don't care if I run over it. I don't care if Camden gets a hold of it and starts chunking it and spitting up all over it. I don't care what happens to the device anymore because it has no value to me. The $300 was predetermined. That was the value that you thought it was worth until you got it. I'll be honest with you. The price that I paid for this phone is too low. Because this thing and this thing are so valuable to me, I would have paid a higher dollar. I'll just be honest with you. And I work really good deals to get my stuff, so I don't pay full price either. Never paid full price for an iPhone. There's too many companies out there that do trade-in programs for me to just go outright and buy a new phone. I can turn this one in for the value of it and put this value towards the new one. So the price that I pay on these, because they are so valuable to me, if I'm without my iPad, I don't know what I'm doing. I'll be honest. I've got so many notes. I've got so many books. 
I don't buy books anymore. They're all in here. I have hundreds of books in here. I can be on a plane uh, around the world and I can get access to anything I need. Anything. Came in handy a couple years ago when I was in Nicaragua and pastor just all of a sudden says, hey, uh, we, we need you to do this afternoon session, but you can't teach on what you've been teaching on because it's a different group of people. Just teach on something on purpose. Well, I've got my iPad loaded with everything I've ever taught. Every note. And all I need is some Wi-Fi and I'm good to go. Wi-Fi is valuable to me. Value is not in the dollar. Value is in the usage. So here's my question. Who's using you? Because here's the thing. Inside every seed. See, some people just see a seed. Some people devalue what's inside of it because of the core. Let me just tell you, don't ever let anybody devalue you based upon what's on the outside because they don't see what's on the inside. Look, we're all messed up on the outside. But there's something on the inside of us that's so valuable you can't put a price on it. That God knows every hair that's on your head. Why? Not because of the outside, because of what's on the inside. This is going to take a long time. There, there's, there's so, I'm getting verses and stuff right now. It's going to take a long time. Because what we have to understand is you're not here just to get. You are here to give. Whatever you have is a gift. Some people see a seed. But there are some people on this earth that see past that seed and know what's inside the seed. And so they no longer see the seed. They see the tree. And then you get some people that even see deeper than that. There's not just a tree in there. There's fruit that's on that tree. You may have a mango seed. To someone, it's just a seed. To someone else, it's a mango tree. And to someone else, it's more mangoes. <laughs> See, we got to get deeper than the tree. Nobody goes to a mango tree for a tree. Nobody goes up there and says, oh, what an awesome tree. It's, you know what they do? They pick the fruit and walk away and forget about the tree. They're interested in what does the tree have to give away. People are not interested in you. Let me just go ahead and let you know so you don't get let down. They don't care about you. They care about what you have to give away. Which brings value to you. The tree becomes valuable because of what it's giving away. Because it's only as valuable as what it's giving away. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 15, if a branch is not bearing fruit, we cut it down and throw it in the fire. But the, but the, the branch, the tree that is producing fruit, 
does what? Gets more investment. You know what you do to a tree that is producing a crop? You keep feeding it. You keep watering it. You keep caring for it because it's giving something away. It's valuable to you because of what it's giving away, not because of what it's putting in. You hate dumping stuff into something that doesn't produce anything. You don't put money in an investment that's not producing a return, financially speaking. So we have something to give away. And I'm going to tell you today, yes, God loves you. Yes, he cares about you. But he cares about you because of who you reach. He cares about you because you're making an investment in your children. He cares about you because you are a connection to lost co-workers. He cares about you because you have a gift and a talent and ability, a skill, potential inside of you that if you use it, it's going to reach somebody else. What was... One of the main commands that God gave Adam and Eve in the garden. Be fruitful and multiply. God wants to multiply off of you. He commanded everything that he created to be fruitful and multiply. So what? Within the tree is the herb yielding seed to produce after its own kind. In the whale is the seed to produce after its own kind. In the cow is the seed to produce after its own kind. In the, the flower is the seed to produce after its own kind. And in you is the seed to produce after your own kind. And I'm not just meaning physically. Be fruitful and multiply, not get comfortable and stay the same. Be fruitful and add to what you are. So let's go look at our main text, Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. And again, we were actually just here a few weeks ago. We were talking about a, a faithful steward, what, what faithfulness looks like. And I, I tell you, this just, every time I read this passage, I get more stuff out of it. Every time I read Matthew chapter 25 about the parable of the three stewards, I get so much more out of it. It's just, there, there's so much just in this one parable. And I'm going to pick it apart. I'm going to give you certain verses that we're going to look at because we we know the story. A master goes to three men, gives one five, gives one two, gives one one. Goes on a journey. The one with the five produces ten. The one with two produces four. And the one with one puts it in the ground and only has one to give back to the master. Okay, we all know this story. So I want to look at some particular verses as we go along, and I want to get to verse 15. It starts in verse 14, but I want to look at verse 15. 
To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Each according to his own ability. So God gives to you based upon what you've proven. Let's first of all identify that. What God has given to you is based upon what you've been proven to handle. So that doesn't mean that we get upset when we've got one and we see someone else with five. We understand that the one who has five at one time was given one. Nobody starts at five. Nobody starts at two. Everybody starts at one. According to his own ability. Well, the only way you get to five is by being faithful with one. And then being faithful with two. Being faithful with four. Faithfulness, potential, and obedience determine where you start. Faithfulness, potential, and obedience determine where you start. Faithfulness, potential, and obedience determine where you start. I mean, we, we see this in the game of baseball. I was explaining this to a friend of mine down in Florida just recently. They went down to a baseball game, but uh, they went to a minor league game in Jacksonville. There's a Jacksonville Suns minor league team. And he was asking me, he's like, what is this whole minor league system about? What, what is this? Because nobody starts out in the majors. I don't care how good you are in high school. I don't care how well you did in college. There's a guy playing major league baseball right now. Uh, called Bryce Harper. His name's Bryce Harper in high school. This dude was phenomenal. He didn't belong in high school. He belonged above that. He graduated early just so he could go to college early, just so he could get more training under his belt because high school baseball wasn't cutting it for him anymore. He said, I I can't play down here. I'm not being strengthened. My abilities aren't really coming out. Graduated early, you can't go uh, into um, the majors until you're a certain age. So he played college ball for another year until he could get into the majors. But guess what? He didn't end up in the big show with the major league level. Got signed right out of college. Number one overall draft pick. First one picked off the list. That good. When he was a sophomore in high school, he was hitting 500-foot home runs, and they called him the LeBron James of baseball. Well, then why didn't he just go straight into the major leagues? Because you've got to prove yourself. And in baseball, there are three minor league levels, and he started at the bottom and had to work his way on up. He had to prove he could hit these guys, and he had to prove that he could play at this level, and he got to prove to play at this level. And once he got, and did he move through there quickly? Absolutely, because faithfulness, potential, and obedience will get you there. That's all up to you. How fast you get through the system is up to you. And you know what happens if you get too far ahead before you've proven yourself? It's dangerous. So God gives to each of us according to our own ability. Number two, we see this, that everything they were given was on loan 
Everything you're given from God is on loan. He's loaned it to you. Every dollar, every resource, every relationship. That's why we tell parents, those aren't your kids. Those are God's kids, and they've been placed in your care to take care of them as he sees fit. They're not your kids. That paycheck you made, yeah, you put in all the dollars, you put, or you put in all the hours, you put in all the hard work, you worked the overtime. But that's God's money. And he's placed it in your care so you take care of it as he sees fit. Everything that was given to them was on loan, which means I have to do what he tells me to do with it, not what I want to do with it. The gifts, the talents, the abilities that we have, those are on loan to us. He's the one that gave it to us. He's the one that put it there. He's the one that put it there for a specific purpose and assignment. So I've got to find out what he wants me to do with it. This makes us stewards. We've seen this. This is the principle of stewardship, not ownership. You realize... The, the, the Bible says in Psalms that all the heavens, all the earth are God's. He owns it. But then we see another verse over in Psalms, uh, 115 verse 16, that says, And the earth he's given to the sons of men. Not to own, to control, to manage as if it were our own. So when we operate with what God has given us, As if it were our own, as if it belongs to us, we lose God's vision for it. You realize God's vision is the only thing that makes it successful. That's why we see actors and billionaires and entertainment artists and even athletes killing themselves. Why? Because they got their vision for what God gave them and you're not going to be successful that way. You're only successful when you use what God gave you for the purpose God gave it to you for. That's why money won't answer your problems. Fame and influence won't answer your problems. Relationships, oh, if I could just be with that person. If I could, if I could marry that person, that'll answer all my problems. No, it won't. No, it won't. You get in the relationships that God tells you to get in, and then you operate in the relationship the way he tells you. Let's look at verse 16. Then he who had received the five talents, this is a precedent-setting event because it carries on through. Then he who receives the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And the guy that had two talents did the same exact thing. So here's the thing. Here's the next key. The thing that God gave to you, the thing that God loaned to you, is to be invested in someone else. And this is where we get the core of our message. What God gives to you is to be given away. Now look, you can ask any financial person, any businessman, 
any type of investment comes with a risk. What's God asking us to do? God is asking us to take risks with what he's given. There should be a risk. What does that mean? It's, there's a little bit of uncomfortability. There's a little bit of, I don't know what's going to happen. Right? I don't know what this is going to produce. Look, we take risks when we do what God calls us to do. What was Jeremiah's risk? I'm a youth. I'm going to go out and I'm going to invest and not really know what I'm going to get back. I'm going to make an investment, but I'm not really sure what I'm going to, what kind of return I'm going to get. But the bottom line is, what you were given should be invested, not held on to. What you were given should be placed in something else. So here's the question I have for you. What is your life being invested into? Where are you making investments? Or are we living comfortable? Have we taken any risks? Have we made any decisions with the gifts and the abilities and the things that God has given us that maybe we're not quite sure how it's going to return? An investment requires sacrifice. An investment requires sacrifice. It's a lot easier to go and spend money than it is to invest it. Why? Because you get something immediately. An investment means I'm putting this up, hoping that it returns back to me profitable. Or, I know it'll return, but I have to wait on it. Investments take time. Nobody invests money and the next day get it all back, plus some. Spending money doesn't take time. You can go down to Target right now and take you ten minutes to spend something. And get something in return. But investments take time. But again, the product is only as valuable as what it's giving away. So there's a risk involved. Now, we know that the one who had one talent took his and buried it in the ground. What, did, what was the difference between what he did and the other two guys? He didn't invest. He took no risk. He remained comfortable. And he didn't give anything away. If we had to find one differential between the two. Two gave something away. One kept it to himself. So look at verse 21. Okay, first, let's look at this. Verse 21. To the other two, the five and the two, let's make this point real quick. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. We're talking to the man with the five and the man with the two. They both got the same response. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Now, here's what you've got to notice. 
the one that had five, what did he gain? What did he gain? What did he increase in? What was added to him? What was added to him? It's a trick question. Most of you are saying five. He gained five, right? He didn't gain five. It's the five doesn't belong to him. The five he had didn't belong to him. The five he's getting doesn't belong to him. And anything that's increased after that doesn't belong to him. The only thing he gains is his master's approval and trust over more. This is the mentality shift. Because look, we can easily get in there and say, I had five and look what I added. And immediately begin to take ownership. If you didn't think you owned the five that he gave you, that you started out with nothing. Now you can start feeling like I've gained something. I got five more. But the only thing he gained was his master's approval. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now I'm going to entrust to you more. That's what he gained. And I'm going to tell you right now, no matter what you do in life, no matter what you have and no matter what you add because of your investment, the only thing you are seeking to gain in life is the approval of God and him entrusting you with more. You have to stay steadfast in that because the more and more that we begin to take ownership of things, we lose his vision. Look, you can have his vision for five and get ten and now all of a sudden get your vision for ten. God can hand over a business to you and say, I want you to be faithful with this business. So, you know, man, this is God's business. I didn't do anything to get this. But all of a sudden the business becomes profitable and you start thinking, man, look what I did. And he's still saying, no, it still doesn't belong to you, but you have my approval and I'm going to entrust to you more businesses and more employees and more finances. If you can remain in the position of stewardship and not ownership. He never saw the increase as belonging to him. The reward for returning an investment or bringing a return on an investment is being entrusted with more. You want God to be able to trust you with more and more and more and more. God is a God of increase. And God can't entrust you with more until you work with what you have. God doesn't see little. I said this the other night in our current night. Because right now with the current, we're being faithful with little. Period. Bottom line. We're being faithful with what we have. But God doesn't see little. God never sees little. God wants you to be faithful with little. But he never expects you to be comfortable with little. God wants you to be faithful with what you have, but don't get comfortable because there's more I want you to have. There's more. There's increase. I need to add. I am the God of more than enough, exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or think. That's the God I serve. God doesn't say be, be, 
you better be faithful with little because that's all you're getting. I only have a little bit to hand out. No, he's waiting to get more into your hands, but you got to be faithful with what's in your hands to get more in your hands. So we've got to be faithful with where we're at. We've got to start with where you're at. Now, let's get down to the other servant. Just identify that he had one. He took the one and he put it in the ground. So let's look at verse 24. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown. Gathering where you have not scattered seed. So he's at least identifying this. It's yours. Even though you didn't put it in the ground, it's yours. Even though you didn't physically go and invest it, it's yours. He's identifying, I know it belongs to you. And the return belongs to you. Come on, I want to get through this. You've you've got to see this in closing and then we can pick up with the rest of it next week. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. Now, he's starting off pretty good. Because he didn't say, you know, that one that you gave me, you know, it was mine. And so I just, you know, I figured I'd do with it whatever I wanted to do. You know, I just felt like, you know, I, I, I didn't want to go and invest it. I just wanted to hang on to the one. Right, so I just put it in the ground. No, he's saying, look, you have what is yours. He's, he doesn't misunderstand who it belongs to, but he misunderstands the purpose for it. He, he's not confused as to who this talent belongs to. They say in today's day and age that this talent would be worth around $2 million, is what they say. So the guy with five talents, he started with 10 and got to to $20 million. One with two, had four, and he got it to $8 million. And now we've got one guy with $2 million. I'm putting a dollar amount on it because where I'm going with this, you've got to see the dollar amount side of it. They say it's about $2 million. He takes $2 million and he puts it in the ground. Acknowledging the entire time, it's my master's, it's not mine. So he's not confused with who it belongs to. He's confused on what am I supposed to do with it. How many of you have ever heard the, the statement, don't work for money, make money work for you? He's confused with that. He doesn't know how to get it to work for him. They say this, money makes a great servant, but a terrible master. We've got people that are working for money, and money's dictating them, and money's telling them what to do. But it makes a way better servant when you tell it what to do, and you command it to do something, and it produces for you. But this isn't just about money. This is about what God has given us. All three have received something. But one sticks it in the ground. His Lord answered to him, you wicked and lazy servant. 
that had to throw him off guard because he thinks he's on top of the game right now. He thinks, I, I, you know what? I didn't lose it. I mean, $2 million would be a lot of money to use. At least he could go back and say, hey, I know about that parable. That, you know, I know about the parable of the, the son. I know how when he squ- squandered everything, I ain't doing that. I'm putting it in the ground. I'm not going and spending all that I know on everything. I, I'm going to put it in the ground. And, you know, sometimes we feel like at least I'm not spending it on something or wasting it on something. So I'm just going to hold on to it. I know that I have a great singing voice and, and I'm not going to go sing for the world. But, I, you know, I'm, I'm just I'm not real big on, on singing in front of people and then serving other people with my gift and singing. So I'm just going to hold on to it. Well, he calls them wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. You knew it belongs to me. You knew it was mine. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. What is interest? What is added to something? What is added to something? That's interest. Two million dollars sitting. I mean, at least most of us would have the mindset financially, if you had $2 million, okay, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. And I don't know how to get $4 million, And I don't know how to get $10 million, And I don't know how to, you know, go and buy a business and get that thing to work for me. But I know it at least needs to go into an account that is earning interest. So I think most of us would have that idea, not just to put it in a checking account, you know, one of those free checking accounts that has no interest added to it, you know. At least most of us would have an idea, okay, I need to find some kind of bond or some kind of investment, maybe a certificate of deposit, or maybe at least some type of savings account. But the master basically says this, you knew that it was mine, so you ought to have taken care of it as if it was mine. Why? This is the mind of the master. Watch this. That $2 million, if you would have put it in an account that would have earned 8%, that means I would have earned back $160,000 a day. Now, he got back $2 million. But in the mind of the master, he lost $160,000 a day for every day he was gone. That's the truth. What's 5%? (laughs) Oh, I don't need no equation. I'm just as lost. $100,000 a day. Yeah, a year. Right, 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 right. But over the length of time, 
You see what I, you, you see what I'm saying? That the master is thinking. See, the, the servant is thinking you have what is yours. But the master is thinking, no, I don't. You lost me money for every day that this was with you. You could have had this coming in. So I should have been able to. The master was coming back looking for two million plus. This is the mind of God. God is saying, what I'm giving to you ought to be invested so it can bring a return to me. Not to you. Man, this is good. Giving it away. What God has given us is to be given away so he can get a return. This is the cycle. Be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. You take that seed. You put it in the ground. It grows a tree. It creates more fruit. And inside each one of those fruit is another seed that goes in the ground. Creates another tree. Bears more fruit. Giving it away. Giving it away. The gift is not for you. Have you ever noticed the fruit on the tree is not for the tree? It's not for the tree. It doesn't benefit the tree at all. It benefits the one using it, the customer, and it benefits another tree. It's amazing how one seed can become a forest. One seed, you can hold a forest in your hand. Because the one seed creates a tree that creates multiple amounts of fruit with multiple, multiple amounts of seed that can go back in the ground and create multiple amounts of trees. A forest. So the master is trusting that you will give away what he has given you. Watch this. The master wasn't angry because the servant lost what was given to him. He was upset because he didn't invest what was given to him. The master wasn't, he didn't come back. He wasn't upset because the man lost what was given to him. The master came back and was upset because he lost what he should have gained. See, in God's eyes, if you don't gain it, you've lost it. In God's eyes, if you haven't added to, you've subtracted If you haven't multiplied, you've divided. You see how God is operating here. And notice how the environment helped determine what's produced. See, the two, they did what? Traded with others. 
what they do? They put their talent in a position, in an environment that it could produce more. The lazy servant took his talent and put it in an environment that would stifle it. You know how environment, how important environment is to a crop? I got to hang out with Mr. Van Murphy. He's a, a, a businessman in our, in our church. I got to hang out with him yesterday morning. He was talking to me about cottonseed because he operates a cotton gin right over here in Brooks County. He was talking to me about, they were telling me how the, the cottonseed doesn't have a lot of push power. It's not a powerful crop. So when it starts to come up, if it, one, you can't put it down too deep. They said the tip of your fingers as deep as you can go because it can't break through the soil when it starts to come. It'll turn down and grow and grow downward. And they have to get out there with machines and break up the top of that soil so it can push through. But they said water. If you get too much rain, it'll dampen it and thicken it up too much to where it won't be able to push through that. Some crops, I guess, can push through strongly. They, they, they said that peanuts, peanut plant can usually get through just about anything. No matter how hard the ground is, but you still have to create an environment for the crop to grow. So we have to understand that we have to be in an environment where we can grow. We have to be in an environment where we can increase what God has given us. We are to give what we have away. You also have to be careful of what you're putting in. There are things that seeds need to produce a tree. One, you've got to know where you're being planted. Two, you've got to know what you're putting in. Are you putting in the right nutrients? Well, some of us are in environments that are tearing us down, not building us up. And then some of us are feeding ourselves that are stifling what we're giving away. When you realize what you're carrying on the inside, when you realize what you have to give away, you will take better caution as to what you're feeding. See, people that feed on whatever and watch whatever and listen to whatever and hang out wherever, around whoever, whenever, don't realize what's on the inside of them. If you knew what's on the inside of you, you wouldn't be around them. You wouldn't be in there. You wouldn't be there at that time. And you wouldn't put that in you. When you realize what you are giving away, you are careful about what you're putting in. Because what you're putting in determines what comes out. I've got more verses and we'll get to them next week. I know we've gone long, especially for a Wednesday. But I just want you to, to understand that God wants us to be more aware of what we're giving away, not just what we're getting. You need to be in positions where you are giving something away. Every job I had, every place I go, every encounter I make, I, I, I get myself in positions where I'm giving something away. 
where I'm adding to, where I'm growing, where I'm investing, where I'm increasing. increasing. And look, every single one of them have uh, levels of risk. There's risk involved. But there's risk with every environment. There's risk with every investment. There's risk with every opportunity. God wants us to be investors, not spenders. God wants us to be concerned with how do I give away? Because they're not coming to you for you. Well, I, I say this in uh, you know, church leadership classes all the time to people that want to be uh, you know, in, in ministry or fivefold ministry or whatever level. Uh, I'm always, uh, one of the main things I say is the people, they don't love you. They love the anointing. They didn't love Jesus. They love the anointing. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to heal the brokenhearted. Bring life to death. Open eyes. Raise the lame. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Not because of who I am. Because of who I am in Him. The people that are around you, the people that you have opportunities to invest in, it's not about you. It's about what you have to give away. And look, we've got to first begin looking inward and identifying what do I have to give away? What is it in me to give away? And not bury it in the ground, not stifle, not... not Hold on to what God has given us, but use what he's given us and give it away and increase more. It, for some of us, it may be our businesses. For some of us, it, it may be our families. You know, I, the anointing is on your life. Not to walk into every situation that's perfect. Look, some of us realize, some of us wonder why we always end up around messes. My family is a mess. I just moved into this neighborhood and it's a mess. I just got a new job and it's a mess. None of these people like me. All these people hate me. None of these people love God. Why can't God just get me around some, some nice co-workers that love God and you know, are going to encourage me? and lift? Why? Because he put you in there to change it. That's where I'm going to go next week. We are agents of change. You're in the mess to change the mess. The anointing is on your life not to have uh, nice Christian spiritual conversations with other Christians that are at your work. You can go find your corner in the break room and just you know, talk about how much you love God and, and you know, how awesome service was. No, it's to sit around those that cuss and drink and smoke and, 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 and talk about other women when they're married. And, and you're around those people to be an agent of change. Because you have something to give away. Father, we thank you tonight. We thank you for this word. We thank you that you have called us, given us a purpose. You knew us before we were born. And on top of that, you gave us everything we need to fulfill the purpose you gave us. So, Father, I thank you tonight that we come into the, the realization and the revelation of who we are. And what's been placed inside of us. And, Father, we learn how to give it away. Father, forgive us for not taking the risk. 
Forgive us for not opening our mouth. Forgive us uh, for not putting that money there. Forgive us for not having that conversation. Forgive us for not engaging. Opportunities. Taking the risk to give it away. Father, I thank you tonight that you build up within each of us the desire to give away that which you have given us. Because we're not trying to increase ourselves. We're not trying to get anything for ourselves. Father, we are trying to grow the kingdom of God. Anything that is living should be growing. Anything that's living should be increasing. And Father, we want to prove that we are living, growing believers by giving away what you've given us, Father. Open this up in our hearts. Open up our minds. Help us see this. Help us understand this so that we can apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said...